Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. As I look over this congregation with fear and trembling, um, some of you are in for a shock of your life. Now, what I'm going to say today is going to be a great amount of encouragement to many, and it'll be a great amount of discouragement to many others. That's just the way it is. That's why it's the third angel's message. You read the third angel's message there, that's the message we're to be preaching. You never hear about it. Any man worship the beast. His image, follow all those, the same shall drink of the wine and the wrath, and they shall suffer, and the smoke of their torment was going to go up forever and ever. <clears throat> That's a lot of encouragement to some people. It's a lot of discouragement for others. I suppose because it's a life and death matter, you don't hear too much about it. Amen. But I was quite surprised when they had as their theme and many churches do, they recite John 3.16. I thought to myself, man, they recite John 3.16? That's a life and death matter. Literally, they always emphasize God so loved. He gave. But they don't emphasize that whole do not. It's a death matter. You don't believe you're going to die. You're going to perish. It's the third angel's message. God so loved the world that he gave, and whosoever believeth on him should not perish. There's a death sentence there. I emphasize there's a death sentence there. It's all, it's all upon your choice of belief. And so, recently... I gave a series of talks on the third angel's message. Justification. It's a health message. It's a message of the time of trouble. It's a message of the outpouring of the latter rain. And it's a message of perfection. And the minute you use the word perfection, that kind of turns people off. And when I'm in Bible studies, most recently, the minute I talk about perfection, one man took his finger and pointed at me. He said, are you perfect? And I kept on talking. He said, I asked you a question. Are you perfect? And I refused to answer his question. He didn't like it. We're going to talk about being perfect. And he wants me to answer if I'm perfect. So I did answer him with a Bible text. The Bible text says this in the book of Proverbs. The path of the just is as a what? Shining light that shineth more brightly and more brightly and more brightly unto what? Unto what? Perfect day. I said the Bible says let your light shine. He that don't hide it, let it shine. Do the work of God, and God will bless you, and you'll grow more like him unto the perfect day. And so after studying perfection and the third angel's message, I've shared it in a number of churches. Now I'm going to ask a lot of questions during this little talk that I will answer, and some of them I will not answer. You'll have to answer. And maybe someday if I come back here, I will answer a few more. Because I do not attempt to answer all the questions that's going to come to my mind that I feel that you will ask about perfection. The first question that people will ask, how do you get perfection out of the third angel's message? How do you get the health message out of third angel's message? 
How do you get justification by faith out of the things you'll message? It's all there. God hasn't left anything undone. The Bible is full and complete. And so I'm only going to read one verse of the third angel's message and let you decide. In the third angel's message, the last verse says this. It says, Revelation 14, 12, it says, it says this. Here is the patience of the who. Now, what are, you need to consider for a few moments, which I'm not, because I'm going to emphasize the other thing, who are the saints? And how did they begin? How did they become saints? It says, here are the patients of the saints. Who are the saints? And how did they become like that? Now, I'm going to destroy one of the common beliefs right now that somehow during the outpouring of the latter rain, the Lord is going to robe him with, with robe of his righteousness and so on and will become perfect. I'd like to find that in the Bible or in the Mrs. White's writings. I've yet to find that. It's not there. So, I want you to follow now a few texts. Now, brothers and sisters, these texts are vital, not because I chose them, but because they're in the Word of God. And they're vital for your consideration. Now, I'm going to give the most prominent text that has to do with per perfection. Matthew 5, 48. Matthew 5, 48. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is speaking. Matthew 5, 48. This is what it says. It says, Be ye therefore perfect. There it is. Now the Bible says, Go ye and preach and teach. Baptized. The Bible says, Go ye to all the world. There are many commands in the Bible. Let your light shine. Don't, don't do this. Of all the commands in the Bible that people attempt to do, that's what the church is founded upon, there's one that we kind of uh, don't emphasize too much. And that is, we emphasize a whole lot of other things in the Sermon on the Mount. But we don't emphasize this one. Be, therefore, perfect. That's a strong command. Only perfect people are going to go to heaven. That's not my word. I'm going to read it a little bit later. Only perfect. Now, you're sitting there and every... I'm not perfect. However I try to be perfect... It's very difficult to be perfect. I think the Lord understands that. He was here. Why would he tell his people to do something that he can't do or he didn't do? Or he will not give you power to do? In this little text here is not only the command, it's a promise. If he commands you to do something, he's going to enable you to do it. Be therefore perfect. You know, there's another word there that you and I take for granted. We're going to read it a little bit, but just look at it. Be therefore. Why is the therefore there? Why? Why couldn't you say be perfect? All that Jesus has said as amplified in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are, do all these kind of things, you know, turn the other cheek, give all these things. Now, all you have to do is follow these simple little plans. All I've done is magnify the law. That's all I've done, he's saying. Therefore, you can see these things, how easy it is 
you can follow them too. So therefore, after reading the amplification of the Ten Commandments right there, be ye therefore perfect. Now, most of us have prayed that you want Jesus to be in your heart. You want Jesus to be in your life. You want the Spirit to be. That's normal, people. But they expect the Lord to do something to be like. You want to be like. You claim to be a child of God. If you're a child of God, you're like father, you know, like son, you're, you're like him. Are you a representative of really what it, the father is like? Wow. Well, he says, you're my witnesses. You're my ambassadors. You're my letter. Be therefore perfect, even as your model. The one who claimed you, he is your father. You're his child. Now, the Bible explicitly says, in fact, I preached on it here once time, that it says to him that accepts him, he'll give, John 1, 12, he'll give you power to become the sons of God. So he's really not asking anybody to do anything here that's not possible. And we quote the text, all things are possible. Now, last time I was here, I had a statement in the bulletin. I didn't put it in this time. So I brought the book where that statement is from. And I'm going to read that statement in connection with what I'm speaking about. And I'm going to be a little more succinct this time. The first time I read this statement was in a book that many of you have had and studied out of. And on page 90 in this book, this is the statement that I had in here that has to do with this. Now watch. Now watch what this statement says. He who has not sufficient faith in Christ to believe that he can keep him from sinning. I'm repeating this statement. He who has not sufficient faith in Christ to believe that he can keep him from sinning has not the faith that will give him entrance into the kingdom of God. You don't believe that he can keep you from sinning. You don't have faith enough to go home to heaven. That's pretty strong. And that's found in manuscript 161, 1897. I put it in every bulletin where I speak. Because I always ask the question in many congregations, how many believe that Jesus forgives them of their sins? And so every soul will raise their hand. How many believe that he will keep you from sinning? Nobody raises their hand. Nobody does. I don't care if it's a prayer meeting. Nobody. How many believe that he can keep you from sinning? Oh, oh, oh no. God is powerful, but he can't me from I'm going to sin whatever. Can you believe what I'm telling you? And then some people walk out and say, be therefore, that's impossible. You know who you're siding with? That's what the devil said. Impossible. Can't keep that. Impossible. And that's why when Moses was resurrected and anybody else that he took to heaven, hey, this man sinned. Hey, this one, it doesn't worthy. it. Are you worthy? I don't care how good you are, you're not worthy. Yet God has commanded us to be perfect. And with that command is a promise. It's an enabling statement. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your father and heaven is perfect. He was perfect here on this earth. And because he was perfect, he obeyed, we can do the same. We can overcome as he overcame. Now, usually I spend about 30 minutes on this text, and by that time I've ruined the rest of my little talk. But I'll read another passage. If you forget the whole Bible... If you forget everything I've said today, remember, be perfect. Amen. Nothing less. Amen. Nothing less. I don't care what your concept is, your earthly concept, your thought, your minds have become way above earthly things, and we're going to be perfect. That's the Bible. That's not me. Second text, Ephesians 5. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. 
in the 26th and the 27th verse. Ephesians 5, 26 and 25. Notice this. 26 and 27. That he might sanctify. Sanctify is to be made holy. You know, they sanctified everything in the Old Testament to be made holy. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's talking about the church. Now listen to this next statement. That he might present to himself a glorious church. Now, I can stop here and I'd take the next 30 minutes on this. You know what a glorious church is? What's a glorious church? That's an interesting statement. Oh, to God, that every one of his churches might be a glorious church. He's going to have a glorious church. You and I need to study that he might present to himself a glory. Are you part of a glorious church? You better be. When it says a glory, who makes up the church? The people make up the church. So when you talk about the church, you're talking about who? Yourself. That he might present to him a glorious church. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to notice these next statements very closely. What does it say? Not having a spot. Now, I appreciate the girl, the young lady, who came and put my collar down. She didn't want that to happen. Too bad I didn't have a spot here. She'd have probably taken that off, too. She wants to clean me up. Why? Look what it says. Not any wrinkle. She didn't like any wrinkle. Isn't that something that I had that up? Somebody knows it and said, that is not right. She didn't. Say, what do you do about sin in your life? Oh, you want to take it out pretty quickly. How can I be up here in front with that? That's terrible. But he's going to have a church, not having a spot. A spot. A spot is a little thing. I don't care how small. It's a spot. There will be no spots in God's church. None. It's a perfect church. And sister... Thank you. There's no wrinkle. No wrinkle. What if I came here today and my wife hadn't princed my suit? I say, well, my wife is in the hospital. She couldn't. I, I come with a wrinkly suit. You wouldn't think very much. Couldn't you change your coat or something? There's no wrinkles. Nor any such thing. I like that part. That gives me room to talk about anything I want to. <laughs> Or any such thing that is any which way we're defiling or mars, it isn't going to go. That's what that text says. It isn't going to go. Now, you don't hear it like that. I'm just saying it like we say it today. It isn't going to make it. I don't care if it's me or you. If none of this is going to make it, but look at the last part. But that it should be. Holy, yet in the man in that Bible class that I said, Are you perfect? And then when I read, Are you holy? He was mean, really means, because I quoted to him very nicely. The text I love so much that's so condemning. Revelation. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, that's a nice word. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. Now watch this. He that is holy, mm-hmm, he's going to be holy still. Will he know he's holy? He won't even change. Nothing will change that person. Nothing will change that person. And he that is righteous, you know, I love what people talk about righteous. All they know about righteousness in the Bible is this. Joshua stood there in the front, and all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so it doesn't do any good to get righteousness. Because all of our righteousness is filthy rags. The Bible says, he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. Amen. 
be perfect. I'm holding a high standard. No. The Bible is holding a high standard. Nothing less. And look where we're walling around. Look what we do every day. Do we ever spend any time trying to be more holy? To be more righteous? What have you gained the victory in this week over some besetment, over some darling sin? Uh, something I can't give up. Just like Lot's wife, something she couldn't give up. What a tragedy to have to leave this. What a waste. Every day you take that thing and you shake it on, you should say, oh, Lord, help me to get rid of everything and forgetting those things out behind. And don't look behind and say, what a sacrifice we have to make. Does anybody ever said what a sacrifice Jesus had to make for you? Did you ever say that? What sacrifice can you make even in comparison for him? Nothing. And look at that text. They're going to be holy. A glorious church. Without blemish. That's or any such thing. Whatever you want to think of, whatever. Nothing is going to blemish that. It'll be perfect. Ephesians 3, 19 and 20. And to know the love of Christ, and to know the love of Christ, and to know the love of Christ. Yeah, I'm going to read a statement about that love in a moment. To know the love of Christ, which patheth knowledge, that ye might be filled with with all the fullness of the Godhead. You know what that means? What's the Godhead? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That you might be filled with the fullness of the Godhead. That you can be adopted, become sons, and be filled with all the fullness. Brothers and sisters, that is a wonderful, tremendous responsibility. Let your light shine because we're filled. Now notice this next verse. Look at this next verse. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. According to the power that worketh in us. If it's the power, brothers and sisters, of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if that power is working in us, He is able to make you perfect. Amen. He can make you perfect. That power that worketh in us. Jude 24. Jude 24. Now remember, James, the book of James, and the book of Jude are brothers of Jesus. They're both brothers of Jesus. Jude. You hear this verse quoted sometimes in prayers or at the close of services. But watch what it says. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. I would like to shout this pretty loud. I'd like to read it pretty heavy. I just want to emphasize that God can keep you from falling. Amen. Jesus can keep you from falling. The Holy Spirit can keep you from falling. Unto him that is able to keep you falling. And guess what? To present you faultless. He can, because you are justified, he can present you faultless for the presence of his glory with exceedingly joy. You know, perfection isn't that far off after all. Not with all the help that he's willing to give. I want to re remind you of one story in the Bible about help. Now, there's lots of them. One of my favorites is Jacob. Jacob lied and did all those bad things. 
he laid down with a rock as his pillow. I like that, a rock. You and I need that rock as it's represented in the Bible. And he laid down there, rejected, forsaken, and suddenly had a dream. Now notice this dream. This dream is full of theology. It's full of religion. It's full of spirituality. And on that dream, there was a ladder. It stretched from Jacob's rock clear to heaven. You read it in Patriarchs and Prophets, and Jesus was at the top of that ladder. And what was going up and down that ladder? It says thousands times ten thousands of angels. Brothers and sisters, Jesus will send all of heaven for one soul. Amen. Thousands. What did he say? 99 sheep. Well, what's one missing? We can get along with 99. One isn't going to make that much difference. We can still carry on. Let the one who wandered away go. No. He went wherever it was. Mountain, canyon, wherever. And he found that one. And he scolded the one. And he reprimanded the one. And he punished the one. The Bible doesn't say that at all. He put that one on his shoulder. Carried him back to the fold. When I say that he would die for one, I'm just not making a nice statement. The Bible says that. He wanted to save Jacob. He wants to save you. And he'll send all of heaven to save one. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came for what? For the sinners. Now I'm going to pass out a piece of paper. Yep, two people can come, or three. You may not hear anything more I say because some of you take this paper and read it. Now, what is this? I'm going to tell you what it is. You can help. It's a commentary on Be Therefore Perfect from Mrs. Ellen G. White. How many here know thoughts on the Mount of Blessing? Anybody heard of that? Two people. This is why I published it out. Because it's a nice commentary on thoughts on Mount of Blessings. Give him that. It's a commentary. Now, I would like to go over this commentary, but because of time constraint, of course I won't. But I want to point out one thing or two. I debate whether to pass these out because people leave them in the seats. They forget them. But it's pretty important. This is thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. It's thoughts on this, the, the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, <clears throat> I'm, I'm reading page 207. Under the spirituality of the law. I'm reading on 207. Why did I say to know the love of Christ? That's what the Bible said. I read it already. To know the love of Christ. Look at the top sentence on 207. God does not employ compulsory measures. Notice this next sentence. 207. Third line down. Love is the agent which he uses to expel sin from their heart. To know the love of Christ. Love is the agent. That's a powerful statement. The third line down. Look in the next paragraph in the middle of the page. It says, be ye perfect as God is perfect. 
Down at the bottom of that page, just before, says Jesus said, Be ye perfect as your Father. It says in the sentence just above there, We may be perfect in our sphere, even as God is perfect in his sphere. Now you can take that and read it. Pray about it. I have another text that's brought out here. Another text. It's on that second page in that reading. It says in there, 2 Corinthians 4.11. This kind of supports and accentuates the necessity, necessity of having Christ in us. 2 Corinthians 4.11. And this is what it says. Now, this text is a marvelous text. Most of you won't know this text, never read it. Most hardly would know what it means. But look what it means. Brothers and sisters, this is a precious text. For which we live. That's people that are living, that's you and I. For though ones which are live, live are always delivered unto death. <laughs> kind of a, sounds like Solomon, doesn't it? Real big contrast. For which, for which we live are always delivered unto the death for Jesus' sake. Every day, delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That's wonderful. We die. What does Paul say? I die how often? Well, when you think of that text, and this one becomes a little more meaningful, he dies daily. Why does he die daily? For Jesus' sake. What is he dying to? He's dying to sin. He's dying to self. And accepting Jesus as always delivered unto death. I bear about. He actually carried, so to speak, carried the body of Christ. That's what he implies. I carry about. I'm always talking about him. Presenting him. For Jesus' sake. Look at the last part. That the life of Jesus that the life also of Jesus. First he talks about being living. Then he talks about being dying. And here's the reason why. That the life also of Jesus. That Jesus' life. I'm dying daily. I'm carrying him in my heart. So to speak. I've got him. Or people know that I've died for him. Also of Jesus. Might be manifest in our mortal flesh. You know what he's saying? Brothers and sisters, when you give up of self, when you die daily, Jesus lives within your mortal flesh. They can see that Jesus is motivating you. I love that verse. For we which live are always delivered unto the death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Well, Remember Jesus said this, if any man follow me, let him do three things. Let him deny himself. What's the second thing? That's the part people don't understand. Take up your, anybody ever taken up their cross? Paul's referring, die daily. Take up your cross. What does that cross stand for? What does that cross mean? What cross are you need to take up? You need to take up a cross every day and get rid of sin. Get rid of your pet sins. Get rid of wasting time. Get rid of wasting money. And use your talents for the glorification and the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Take up your cause. And the last one was, follow me. When you take up a cross, you can't do anything but follow him. All right. Now I'm going to distribute another sheet. They can bring up the sheets that you had left over. And I'll give you another sheet. Now this next sheet is also in commentary on the same, same fine. Did everybody get one of these sheets that needed? Fine. Now, this next, this next sheet is... From Desire of Ages. How many of you have the book Desire of Ages? Few. Oh, a few other people. Now, this is actually from Desire of Ages. 
Now, in Desire of Ages, Mrs. White also makes a commentary on the sermon on, on Jesus' beatitude. Thank you. And so this is from Desire of Ages, you'll see. But, you know, when you read Desire of Ages, are like we read the Bible, you know, boom, 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 and seldom ever sit and meditate and pray about it. When you read these statements now, you'll find out that there are some things in here that are quite profound. As far as this be, therefore, give it to him. You see the page numbers where they are in Desire of Ages. This is pretty strong, pretty strong two pages or three. You should get page number 308, 309, 310, and 311. Now, naturally, I'm not going to read all these pages. I would love to. I would love to read them all because when I read them, I emphasize certain things that these sentences are saying. And you can see that, well, I mark them up a little heavy. You have 307, I mean 308 and 309. I'm reading on 308, about the fifth line down, a sentence right after Romans 7:12, which says, on the other hand, all who break God's commandments are sustaining Satan's claim that the law is unjust and cannot be obeyed. So when I say, be you therefore perfect, who's ever kept the law? And so we support Satan. I said that before. We support Satan by saying it's impossible, cannot obey. Thus, they second the deception of the great adversary and cast dishonor upon God. Anytime you say you can't keep the law, it's, uh, Satan is rejoicing. He says, you're right. You tried it, and you can't keep it. They are children of the wicked one. Okay. Go down to the next paragraph, or in the middle of the page, of the where it looks like it looks uh, 37. It says, the greatest deception of the human mind in Christ's day was that a mere assent to truth constitutes righteousness. As long as you believe in truth, that's righteousness. That was a very common deception, it says in Christ's day. Same today. It's the same today. Look at the bottom paragraph. The same danger still exists. Many take it for granted that they are Christians simply because they subscribe to certain theological tenets, doctrines, beliefs. But they have not brought the truth into practical life. They have not believed and loved it. Therefore, they have not received the power and grace that come through sanctification of truth. Look at the next paragraph on 310. The righteousness which Christ taught is conformity of heart and life to the revealed will of God. Go over to page 311. Now you can read this by yourself, I don't, but I'm just pointing out a few things. In the middle paragraph, which starts God's ideal for his children, I'm on 311. God's ideal for his children is higher than the highest human thought can reach. I referred to that already. It's perfection. Be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. This command is a promise. Brothers and sisters, that's where I get. Everything I've said up here this morning is not original with me. It's not original with me at all. 
Here it is. This command is a promise. You may not have looked at it like that, but it's a promise. If the Father is perfect and He says you should be, it's a promise He's going to help you become perfect. The plan of the plan of redemption contemplates our complete recovery from the power of Satan. Christ always separates the contrite soul from sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil, and he has made provision that the Holy Spirit shall be imparted, imparted to every repentant soul. Look at this last phrase, to keep him from sinning. Can you believe that? He has given us that power to keep us from sinning. The tempter's Satan, the tempter's agency is not to be accounted as an excuse for one wrong. Satan is jubilant when he hears professed followers of Christ making excuses for their deformity of character. In these excuses, they lead to sin. And look at the next sentence. There is no excuse for sin. I don't care how one justifies it. There is no excuse for sin. Now with these few little commentaries that you can read, in these few little texts, you are getting an idea that God has wants us to be perfect. We're to grow in the grace, in the knowledge. We're to be as a light, shining, brighter every day unto the perfect day. Now I'm going to read in another book. Now this book, Maranatha, is a morning watch book. It's a morning watch book that was put together in 1976. This year they're repeating it. This is, they, they have these books every year since about 1970, I think, of Mrs. White's writings. This one here, the people that put this one together, it's quite marvelous. It's, they have searched out. It's full of very, very timely statements for today. How many have this book? Let me see. One? One person has this book. Well, deny yourself whatever, two people, whatever you need to get it and read it every day. I mean, read it every day. First, in the morning. In the morning. You read. And you pray. Now, I, on all the other talks I've given, this talk, I've never used this book because I didn't read this week's readings. This week's readings are just fantastic about what I'm talking about. About what I'm talking about. This is February 11. This is February 11. A soul united with Christ will war against transgression and every approach of sin. A soul that's united, that's what we're talking about, Christ in you, will war against all transgression and every approach of sin. He becomes every day more like a bright and shining light and more victorious. I thought, man, I got to share this. He goes forth from strength to strength and not from weakness to weakness. Let no one deceive his soul in this manner. Now I'm going to read 12 things. 12 things. You'd have to count them. Look what it says. If you harbor pride, self-esteem, a love for supremacy, vainglory, unholy ambition, murmuring, discontent, bitterness, evil speaking, lying, deception, slandering, you have not Christ abiding in you. Want me to repeat all those? Lying, ambition, evil speaking. Christ doesn't talk like that. Why should you? You must have a Christian character that will stand. There must be a thorough conversion among those who claim to believe the truth, or they will fall in the day of trial, time of trouble. God's people must reach 
a high standard. They are to be a, this is First Peter 2, they are to be a holy nation, a peculiar people, a chosen generation, zealous of good works. Now, I need to finish this because time is running away. I haven't told any illustrations in this talk yet. And I refrain to, it's earthly. So therefore, I try to keep it Bible and spirit of prophecy and keep it on a high level. But when it says in here, zealous of good works, I can tell you a pretty sad commentary. People that go about in the churches around looking for a church that has an outreach program. They have an active, participating, implemented outreach program. One church on the website, I'm talking about Miami, had 70 different ministries in their church. Any for an outreach or for recovery of souls? They're active, really active. Things are really bouncing. An outreach program, Bible studies, fellowship groups, zealous of good works. Zealous. Oh, we have to nurture the people. Oh, we have to keep them. The best way is get them working for others. I repeat myself. The pastors say they have to nurture and get the people in it and have all these things and nurture the people and to have all these activities for the youth. That's true. Get an outreach program. It'll take care of all that. I was waiting for an amen, but I, I guess it didn't register. When you work for, when you go and save a soul, whose soul are you saving? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that. We need to go work for others and your soul will be nurtured. I cannot believe all this. What it says. No one, no man enters the portals of glory, but he who sets the heart upward, thither. We need a reformation in our churches. The converting power of God. That was on 11. I'm going to read another one. That wasn't the full one. I'm reading on 7. Let those men and women who are satisfied with their dwarfed, crippled condition in divine things be suddenly transported to heaven and for an instant witness the high and holy state of perfection. I'm repeating that statement. Let those men and women who are satisfied with their dwarfed, crippled condition in divine things be suddenly transported to heaven for an instant witness in the high and holy state of perfection that ever abides there. Every soul filled with love, every countenance beaming with joy. Could such a person, I ask, mingle with heavenly throng, participating in their songs, and endure the pure, exalted, transporting glory that emanates from God and the Lamb? Oh, no. They never practiced it on earth. It would be foreign to them. Those who have trained the mind to delight in spiritual exercises are the ones who can be translated and not be overwhelmed by the purity and the glory of heaven. You may have a good knowledge of the arts. You may have an acquaintance with the science. You may excel in music. You may excel in penmanship. Your manners may be wonderful from your soul, but what have these things to do with the preparation for heaven? What have they to do to prepare to stand before the Lord? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Nothing but holiness will prepare you from heaven. Brothers and sisters, the Bible holds a high standard. Praise the Lord for that. But that high standard, you and I can reach. Now the question is asked, when do I reach that? Why are you putting it off? Why is anybody putting it off? Well, <clears throat> does God ever do something for you that you can do yourself? I'm reading a, I'm reading a verse here, 
2 Corinthians 7.1. 7.1. Now, open your Bibles. Put that verse on you. This is a, uh, this is a, a very, very important verse. 7.1. This verse should be read every... This should be part of the mission. Nobody would think of that. But look what it says. Having therefore, there's that word therefore, concluded. This is already concluded. It's based. It's not assumed. It's a fact. Having therefore, these promises. You know what these promises are? Well, I've read a number of them today. There's a lot more. Look what it says. Having therefore, these promises that I've read in the word and many others. Dearly beloved, let us do what? I want to repeat that. Let us do what? Let our cleanse ourselves. That's something God can do. If he, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and he will cleanse us from all. That's right. We must be placed in his hands through the fullness of the Godhead, and he will walk. The Bible says, let us cleanse ourselves. There's certain work that man must do. Look what it says. From all what? Look, go back over to Revelation 22. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. Paul is saying, let us cleanse ourselves from filthiness. That word needs to be dwelt on. I didn't come to dwell on that today. That's another time. Filthiness. You read the Bible, what filthiness is. Find out where it's used. I want to tell you, your eyes would be opened. Many of us in here are practicing a lot of filthiness. In no way is it going to go to heaven. And why do we repeat this? We love it. And we never had the idea that we got to get rid of it. Many of us are going to come out like the five foolish virgins. We assume, we presume, God is merciful, God is gracious. By grace are we saved. You're exactly right. That's the Bible by his love and he's not willing. He's going to save us. That is exactly what the five foolish virgins thought. They believed the truth. They did the truth. Then they were lost. How sad it will be come up to the last day in the time of trouble and find this. We are lost. Did those five foolish virgins come into that night when the bride was coming with the idea, oh, we're lost? No, they thought they were saved. You know, presumption. That's what it was. It was presumption. Do you know that presumption is one of the greatest sins of the last days? That's not my words either. Do you know that the second temptation of Jesus was presumption? Jump off here. Cast off. The Bible says he'll, he'll bury you up. That's exactly right. It does. But not the way the devil quoted. We presume certain things. We assume certain things. The Bible says, cleanse yourself. Get rid of the garbage you wear. Jacob's died. Wash your clothes. Clean up the place. And when they brought all their junk together, clean your house. Clean your closets. Clean your refrigerators. Get And never... Put it back in there. Your whole lifestyle. That's what it says. Cleanse ourselves. Filthiness. Don't get me going on that. I want to tell you something. It's serious. I can't shout this loud enough. Look what it says. Cleanse ourselves of flesh. Oh, don't ever get me on the health message. Because I can rant and rave about the health. The third angel's message is a health message. I didn't even talk about that. Don't even start me. I'm talking about perfection. Filthiness of flesh. You can interpret that any way you want to, and it's true. Lusts and things we eat. You could eat that stuff in heaven. Absolutely not. Get rid of it now. When are you going to give it up? Amen. I repeat. The things you eat. Are you going to eat that? And if that's what's heaven, when are you going to give up to get there? People that are eating that? Let us present our bodies holy and acceptable. Holy, holy, acceptable. And what do we do? Garbling up at the trough. Oh, the Israelites. Oh, for the flesh pots of Egypt. The Lord answered their prayer. He answered their prayer and they suffered. We got to cleanse ourselves from all flesh, flesh eating, flesh, whatever it is. And look what it says cleanse ourselves of flesh and spirit. 
Oh, I signed a lot of people there. They're, they, the spirit does this. The spirit does that. The spirit moved me. The spirit doing that. Oh, oh. Mm -hmm. Say, have you tried the spirits lately? Is this the way the spirit works in the Bible? It's strange that you're under very, you know what, all my, all my study in the Bible, I've never found the Holy Spirit working like what you say it is. Absolutely. I don't like people, the spirit, you know, they think to do this. You go into certain churches around here at this hour, you'll see them do a whole lot of things to say spirit's moving. Uh, it is the spirit, but I can tell you one thing, it's not the heavenly spirit. Amen. It's not. Amen. And the Bible shows that. And so I, I'm under obligation. I'm under obligation to not cover their sins. To not cover their sins. Hey, that's not the way the Holy Spirit works. Of spirit. This is strong language. And look at the last part. Perfecting holiness. Practice holiness. Amen. Speech. In thought. You know, thought. Purity. You know, Jesus says this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? Uh -huh. Repeat it again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? <clears throat> Pretty strong language. You can see what the impure are going to read. Well, I give you one more text. Maybe you have too many. There's a lot more. I have to narrow it down. I give you the last text. Hebrews. Hebrews. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Every time I give this talk, it's always different. Because I learn so much in between, I keep reading, and I find something better, I find something more about perfection and how what God is doing. Saints, here's the patience of the saints. They've endured. They've hung on. They would not let go. They know that salvation is there. Here's the patience of the saints. Study who are the saints. I'm reading in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And I'm going to read verses 10. And on, we're just about to 14. Hebrews 12, 10. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but it is for our profit that we might be partakers of the holiness. That we might be partakers of the holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Isn't that neat how Paul uses what John used? He used holiness. He that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still that the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby, they live. Twelfth verse. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, the weak, the discouraged, trying to reach the impossible, Thirteenth verse, and make straight paths for your feet. Don't be following the crooked paths. Follow the straight and narrow, and few be there that find it. Amen. Wide is the gate, narrow is the gate to heaven. Make straight paths for your feet. David says, my feet almost slipped. I slipped away. How many times have you fallen and slipped? Make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed, restored. 
God is in the healing. He heals broken hearts. He heals rejected people. Now, the 14th verse. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man will see the Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if I have ever made it clear from the Bible, we're going to be holy and righteous. Whatever your concept is, forget it. The Bible presents, be therefore perfect. And it's a command, and it's a promise. Amen. Now I stop where I started. I know I haven't answered every question. There are other questions about this. I'll be glad to answer them. But the main thing for this talk is the high standard that God has presented us in the Bible. The promise, command, and he will enable us to him that receiveth. He'll give you power to become the sons of God. Amen. Now, I'm done. Thank you for listening to today's message.